Hey everybody, on this episode of the MacGyver After Show, we're breaking down Season 1, Episode 5, Toothpick. Find out what happens when you bring a toothpick to a gunfight. Let's do it. You're tuning in to the destination for TV superfan discussion, After Buzz TV. And now, let the buzz begin. Uh, 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 uh. Look at that, everybody. Get the lights going, the jazzy tune. Welcome, everybody, to the MacGyver After Show here on AfterBuzz TV. We'll be breaking down Season 1, Episode 5, Toothpick. I'm your host, Frank Moran. You can follow me on Twitter, at HappyGoJackie. My co-host, Mike Kalinowski, just two short weeks from being back here. We can't wait to have him back as we break down the entire season of MacGyver, which uh, got picked up for a full season run, so we'll be able to see it all the way through till May. So you're stuck with us until May, folks. We're breaking down MacGyver every Sunday night. Now, folks, you can like, also like us on Facebook, give us those five stars on iTunes, subscribe to the YouTube channel, and most importantly, hop in the chat. We're going to pull the chat up there. So, as always, uh, with Mike, my co-host, kind of off on his own travels, you folks are my co-host. So, we'll be able to break down the episode, hear your thoughts here, and I'll uh, answer any questions you have or respond to your comments about the episode as I take us through the wonders of Toothpick. Uh, and we kick off there where uh, Jack and Mac, they're, uh, they're uh, hanging out in Lisbon, Portugal, Portugal, as they say. And it's been a long stakeout, which I did like that. The Chiron uh, identifying it just as, you know, multiple O's right on there. So find out, uh, I guess it's been about 57 hours. And uh, Jack is boring Mac with a story. And... Uh, uh, he picks up uh, Mac's phone and notices that he's gotten a text from his girl, Cindy. Uh, about five texts since they've been on the stakeout. And Mac hasn't mentioned it, hasn't responded to it, hasn't done anything except keep his eyes just focused on this window. And Jack says, hey, all right, you know, if you're not uh, going to be uh, talking to me, then I'm just going to keep chewing these chips incredibly loudly. Kind of use that as like a, almost like water torture to kind of break Mac down until he starts fessing up who this Cindy is that keeps texting Mac. And after a few crunches of the chips, Mac relents and says, oh, you know, Cindy's a girl that I went out with. She was great, but, and of course, uh, Jack interrupts and says, hey, I know, she's not Nikki. You were still hung up on Nikki. you got to get past her. And Mac is protesting. Uh, one of those situations where I feel like he, uh, the man doubt protests a little bit too much about that. Uh, but before they can, because uh, the reason Max says he can't uh, let go is that not so much that he's still in love with her, but the fact that she got away on his watch, and that sort of makes her his responsibility, even though Jack doesn't see it that way. He's trying to convince Mac that he's wrong. But before they can really get into it, all of a sudden they start seeing uh, the curtains up there in the window that they're watching across the way start to move, and they see a woman with a long blonde hair kind of peeking out. And Max says, all right, that's it. That's her. They run up to the room, and they, they knock into the door, and they find out the woman inside there is not Nikki. In fact, it's somebody that Nikki paid $500 to the day before to uh, meet Mac in uh, Mac and Jack in the room and give her, excuse me, have Mac, uh, give Mac this envelope. Uh, and inside the envelope is a key, and Mac is bummed because somehow along the way, Nikki made them. So frustrated, uh, they really have, all of a sudden they've kind of blew their lead. They don't know where Nikki is. But before they can really pursue anything further with this key that he re- received in the envelope, uh, Thornton calls them and says, hey, you got to drop what you're doing right now and you need to get to Berlin. There's been a problem here. Uh, and uh, if uh, uh, we see that, uh, uh, that, that the idea, though, is that 
There is a, Interpol and, CIA, and the CIA have been trying to prove Eric Wexler, who's head of the German branch of a U.S. defense contractor, Wexler Aerospace Industries, has been selling weapons to America's enemies. And they've never been able to find proof until about 24 hours ago. Uh, his assistant, Katerina, reached out with proof of illegal actions, and she spoke to an Interpol agent named Simon Abbott. Uh, and so I about emailed Katrina uh, plane tickets, uh, excuse me, train tickets to go from Berlin to Frankfurt, where he was going to pick her up and then be able to take her in to get her statements. Uh, unfortunately, Agent Abbott was found murdered four hours ago, and the email sent to Katerina was sent two hours ago. So clearly, somebody murdered Abbott and then sent that email disguised as him to trick Katerina to come into Frankfurt to basically just walk right into a trap. So what Thornton needs to do is that she's going to get to Frankfurt to find out who's waiting to get Katerina on the other side when they arrive, while Mac, Jack, and Riley head onto the train, find Katerina, and keep her safe so that she can get to Frankfurt safe and sound. Uh, and actually, just to jump back there, because we always like to do something here, uh, at the beginning of every episode, we've got to always touch base with Max roommate Bozer. Find out what the heck he's up to. And uh, now we find out that uh, Riley has got another date with her parole officer. And the deal is, is that Bozer's going to pose as her boyfriend when they go to visit. And in exchange, every time they go and everything is successful and the the uh, parole officer says, like, all right, everything's still good above the board. Riley gives Bozer another digit of her phone number. So, so far we find out there's been four visits because he has four digits. And so another six and... He's going to get that full 10-digit number so he can actually call her or text or whatever he's going to do. But Bozer is impatient. Basically, you know, he's got no game. And he says, you know what we should do? We should just go get in a hot tub. And that seems like a great way. I mean, why not? Why why not just go tubbing? Don't you want to go tubbing with Bozer? The idea is, like, if we just go tubbing, you know, like at that, we're just going to get into the groove. Maybe it helps kind of sell the, the idea of a relationship a little bit better. You can convince your parole officer you're really involved if we are really kind of just hanging out and having a good time and because uh, Bo- <laughs> Bozer can browse himself to a Venus flytrap and if you get too close you're going to get bit great line I recommend not using that with any of the ladies in your life uh, Get and, and in fact Riley says the same thing do these lines actually work on anybody and at least Bozer's honest and says no and you know, Riley gives that little moment of honesty. Like, you don't need to try all these corny lines and pick up a woman. You're cute. Just rely on your, just your, 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 your cuteness and your niceness. That'll go a long way into getting a woman. And Bozer's all excited. He's like, oh, my gosh, Riley said I'm cute. All right, this is great. So that was our little Bozer moment. Uh, and then, of course, we don't see him again until the end of the episode. So we'll get to him down there at the end. But uh, as always, these uh, Bozer moments, I... So I have no idea why they're in these shows at all. They could be excised so easily. Uh, and I can't imagine that uh, the writers are feel like, why do we you know, always have to come up with something to do with this character? I mean, <laughs> no need for him. They get cut him away and just spend more time kind of rounding out the, the main relationship between Riley, Jack, and Mac. I'd rather see more development between those three than trying to find a way to shoehorn Bozer into each episode. But anyway, we find that... Uh, Mac, Jack, and uh, Riley are on the train, and now they've got to find Katarina first. So they go to her cabin, and they're looking around for her. And now they feel like, oh, wait, she's not in her car. Where could she be? Uh, Riley uses her computer to hack into everybody's cell phones that are on the train. The idea is they should use the cameras on everybody's cell phone to start looking around. If they can pick up uh, where Katarina is, they'll be able to locate her on the train. MacGyver, though, as he's going through... uh, uh, Katarina's cabin notices in the bathroom that there's been some cut hair and some hair dye. So realizing that uh, she's cut her hair about six inches and also dyed it blonde. 
So now they have an idea of what they look like. Uh, Riley does a little computer mock-up there using her initial shot with long brown hair to kind of simulate what it would look like if it was cut about six inches and colored blonde. So they have an idea of generally what they're looking for. And since Riley's tapped into everybody's cell phone cameras, easily find her. She's hanging out in the dining cart. Uh, so Mac goes up to her, and they start talking and saying, and basically tell Katarina, like, hey, I know you've been talking to Abbott. You know, you can try giving him a call, but he won't answer because, sadly, he's dead. And he actually wasn't even the one that sent you these train tickets. This is a huge trap that you're walking into. And Mac is trying to convince her that they are there to protect her. But Katarina, understandably, is incredibly reluctant. I mean, she's definitely feeling very suspicious about all this. I mean, she's turning evidence against her boss, who she felt that she knew really well and thought she trusted until she saw too many of his evil actions and just saw too much of his life to finally realize I can't be quiet anymore. I've got to actually say something. Uh, now we also have Thornton while they're, uh, while they're trying to convince Katarina that they're on the up and up. Thornton is in Frankfurt kind of looking at the station, trying to figure out who could be the person that's going to be picking up Katarina on that end. And initially sees a guy in a sweater looking all creepy. And it's the, as the guy's walking, he kind of reaches into a sweater and uh, pulls out what uh, uh, Thornton is thinking is a gun because she's about to reach into her back, uh, right there on the back holster, and try to pull out her gun. And all of a sudden, the guy at the last second is always, it's always one of those fake outs that you get inside there where you think it's a guy. And it turns out he's just pulling out a lollipop and immediately cracks, uh, goes from like this sour, sour, grim look to this big, bright smile and gets down on his crutches, down on his knees to pick up his daughter who's coming in from the train. So nice, fa- nice fake out. And as Patricia keeps scanning around inside the station, sees a man who's not even looking in her direction, but she can see his jacket kind of bulging out enough to see the, the handle of a gun. So uh, this guy, clearly uh, a well-trained uh, assassin, or at least a gun for hire, uh, because he's not looking anywhere around. He keeps looking away from Thornton as she just kind of approaches, sits right next to him on the bench, is able to easily reach into the, his jacket pocket and grab the gun before he can even do anything. So this guy... Not really good. Uh, and says, hey, are right, you going to step out here with me? Uh, and we're going to find out some information about who you're working for and why. And we're going to nip this all in the bud before Katarina even shows up here in Frankfurt. Uh, but the guy did not come alone. There's somebody dressed as one of the uh, the maintenance people there at the station who uh, is pushing around a little cart, a little janitorial cart. And, you know, as any uh, assassin in disguise pushing around a janitorial cart in a train station, of course, they've got an automatic machine gun. Or, or uh, you know, maybe like a little Uzi inside the uh, the janitorial cart. So he pulls it out, starts firing away, hits Thornton in the in, in the shoulder, which we I see I saw the bullet like impact on the coat. So there's a little hole in there. That bullet, that gunshot, not mentioned again for the rest of the episode. She was shot in the arm, and there's no mention like, hey, maybe this is a very special bulletproof coat that she's wearing. Uh, it's made out of this incredible like thin Kevlar that can stop a bullet. No mention made of her getting shot in the shoulder. Nothing. So we see her and no comfort, discomfort whatsoever about this. Anyway, she gets shot, but she turns around, takes out the one guy dressed as a maintenance worker, and then shoots the other guy, the first guy that she grabbed the gun from, in the back of the leg. And he basically makes it out of the station that was able to get into a vehicle and take off. Patricia knows that the cover is blown. They, the people that are trying to get Katarina know that there are people trying to stop them from grabbing her. So she calls Mac and lets him know, like, hey, guess what? It is, it, you know, the, the jig is up, so to speak. They know that we're involved. We've got to make sure uh, we get Katarina safe. Somebody's going to be probably trying to make a move for her while she's on the train. And sure enough, 
as uh, as they're saying that, Riley sees on her computer, she's kind of pulling up the schematics of the train, that uh, she just got uh, information that there are eight more people have suddenly boarded the train, and they're on the roof. So clearly they've been dropped off by a helicopter while they're en route from Berlin to Frankfurt. And now the game is on, because these guys are going to be scouring this train, and they've still got a, uh, an hour or so before they even get to Frankfurt. So they got to be able to keep Katarina away from these guys, keep her safe, and hopefully eliminate these guys so that nothing happens to her so they can get the, the Frankfurt safe and sound. Uh, Max dashes right, Katarina in a room and says, hey, just lock the door behind you. Uh, don't answer it for anybody except for me, and uh, I'll keep you safe. So as she does that, and as they start walking down away from that room, they notice that another passenger's kind of kept his door ajar. Really sloppy, guys. Uh, you know, I mean, it's convenient for Mac and the idea of he's kind of improving on the fly, but I can't think of anybody that's going to be riding a train and deciding to just, you know what, I think I'm going to take a nap. I'm going to read a little bit in my cabin, but I'm going to keep the door open because, you know, what's the worst that could happen? Uh, <laughs> I think some weirdo could come in and do what Mac does and basically creeps in through his room into the bathroom, takes his electric razor and comes back out. And what he does is he takes the electric razor and he transforms it into a taser, takes it back over to uh, Katarina, gets her to open the door and says, all right. Uh, well, first, Katarina's response is like, oh, is it already safe? <laughs> Which I did like that. It's like, oh, wow, that wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be. And MacGyver's like, no, you know what? It, it's only been three minutes. It's it's not safe yet. So hang tight in here. And here, hold on to this razor. And Katarina's response is, you want me to shave somebody that comes into this room? Doesn't seem like a great way to kind of stop somebody through the sh- threat of shaving. Uh, and Max says, no guess what i turned this into a taser so kind of activates the button there and just taking two wires and made it look like the the little electrical arc that you get through a taser gives that to her and says all right use this if anybody comes your way uh now uh tells riley to hold back and kind of keep an eye on the room where uh, uh, where katarina's hiding out and then jack and matt get to work they start walking through the cabins of the train trying to find these guys as they board from the roof into the main cabins of the train and they kind of idea like, oh, wait, I think there's some guys just around this corner. So what they do is that Jack pretends to be really drunk and Max trying to carry him back to the room. They're just having some good old like drunk buddy kind of camaraderie as they're walking by these guys. And as they kind of get by him, Jack kind of stumbles around and then they'll suddenly start laying down a beat down. Uh, Jack takes one guy, Max taking the other. That guy's way bigger than Mac. Mac uh, gets tossed into one of the cabins. The door slams shut with leaving Mac and this big burly guy in the room duking it out. Uh, Max able to get some hairspray so he's getting tossed around the cabin. Uh, this passenger's hairspray kind of falls out, so he uses that as almost uh, kind of like to blow like an aerosol flame into the guy's face, temporarily blinding him. And they keep fighting, and the guy pulls out a gun. And Mac, as always, we're talking about here, uh, <laughs> uh, does toothpick beat gun? In this case, yes. He uses the toothpick to, to jam the gun from firing and is able to kick the guy out the window. Cool little sequence to see. Uh, what I liked about that is just seeing how uh, quickly Mac is able to use all the, uh, everything around him in fight scenes as well. Quick on his feet and quick to improvise uh, and using some really cool methods. Uh, I don't know if I could actually be that quick and that uh, assured that I could take a toothpick and know I could place it in the exact spot I need to on a gun to prevent it from firing. Oh, hey, we got Boo 69 bs hopping in. Uh, do you think someone would have heard someone jumping on the roof of uh, a train? You would you would think if you've had eight guys uh, jumping on a train, and certainly I guess it's, it's late at night, I suppose, going from Berlin to Frankfurt. I think they're taking what is essentially like the, the red eye of trains, uh, so an overnight train, but you'd still... Not everybody's sleeping on that. And if you hear people walking on a ceiling of a train, I think 
somebody would go like, hey, um, one of the conductors on the train, uh, you know, one of the stewards, like, excuse me, I think I hear some footsteps on the ceiling. Uh, I think people are walking on the roof of this train. Maybe that's something that shouldn't be happening. Uh, I, I don't think that's something you're supposed to be hearing at all while you're in a train. Unless you're in a station, maybe on a station you're hearing somebody walking around up and down on, this, on the roof of a train. But while it's in motion, going, you know, 100 plus miles an hour, and yeah, hearing footsteps on the on the roof, probably not a good sign. And uh, do we think Mac will ever see Katarina again? Because I think he will. Completely forgot, <laughs> completely forgot about her. I, you know what? I don't. Sadly, I do not think he's going to see Katarina again. It uh, was a nice little meet cute uh, that they had there, and they had a nice little adventure. There's clearly there there were those moments of kind of uh, tension. Will there or won't there? They kind of set it up where they're in close quarters, close proximity to each other, uh, that they could kiss. And in fact, one time they did kiss, although it was under the cover of trying to keep uh, Katarina and McGaffrey from being discovered by one of the gunmen walking around the cabins. Uh, but at the end, a nice long hug and a kiss on the cheek, and Max uh, attempt to say, "Hey." You know what? Uh, let's let's make plans to make plans. So that already uh, says no. <laughs> thanks, but no thanks. And when somebody says let's make plans to make plans, that already is telling you like, guess what? We're probably not going to see each other again. But I don't want to say that to you now because we just had this great, exciting thrill ride of an adventure where you know I saved your life and we really uh, had a connection. But I'm not going to see you again. So Mac was letting her down, I guess, in the, the softest, easiest way possible. But I, I, I can't see them getting back together. Uh, yeah. Uh, okay, there we go. Uh, I guess somebody's hopping in. I think they'd make a good couple. I think they would. I mean, they, they seem to have a really nice kind of relationship. But, you know, I I think that the way the show is structured, I don't know if Mac could be in a relationship that somebody – it could be in a relationship with somebody that is not doing – something actively involved with the Phoenix Foundation or is in another branch of the military, sort of like the MacGyver, but for the CIA or for Interpol or something like that, like sort of his opposite number where they could meet more out in the field or uh, in these other destinations. Because having somebody that's just a civilian, you know, I think they're going to end up being like Bozer because the focus of the show is not, not MacGyver's relationships at home. It's more his adventures. That he's having somewhere around the world trying to, you know, right a wrong or prevent uh, some kind of crime from happening. So I can't see a civilian relationship really forming with MacGyver. Uh, well, and Mac does have a thing for blondes. Yep, I would agree. He's got, uh, he's got a type, seems to be, for that. Although, I mean, I guess I wasn't really her blonde. So I guess once, uh, you know, the, she takes the color out of her hair... I guess Max going to lose interest. So I guess Katarina would either have the choice to become a full-time blonde or just know if she went back to her original brunette state that, you know, MacGyver's probably going to lose interest pretty quick. Uh, anyway, so uh, Riley's in one of the other cars of the train while Mac and Jack are taking care of the guys that they're fighting with and uh, sees that there's a, a bad guy coming down the cabin. And she's uh, on the inner, the, on their headsets trying to get a hold of Jack and Mac on their earpieces to let them know, like, hey, guess what? There's somebody coming towards the cabin that Katarina stashed in. You guys need to get up here fast because it's just me. And, you know, I'm not... I'm not like some kind of ace, like Jason Bourne-esque, cool, kick-ass lady. I don't have all those fighting skills, so somebody else is going to have to take care of that. Nobody's responding to her, though. And uh, the guy starts knocking on the door. 
uh, Riley though steps up, takes your computer, starts smacking the guy around. Uh, the guy pushes Katarina, or excuse me, Riley back on to, to one of the seats and starts to make a move for. But before he can get any closer, all of a sudden you hear those shot, the electrical shocks happening from behind him. And of course, Katarina stepped out the door and used the taser on him to knock him out. A second person's showing up, and Jack happens to show that up just in time and, and throw out a really wicked headbutt. Just a uh, man, just a nice running jump smack headbutt to that guy, which I thought was kind of cool. And you could even see Jack after the headbutt, not expertly landed, still leaves Jack a little shaken up after he delivers it. I thought that was a nice little touch. Because usually people with headbutts, like when they see him done in TV shows or movies, the person who's delivering the headbutt usually is really good about doing it cleanly and efficiently, and it's only the person getting hit that's really affected. This I liked it was just kind of improvised on the fly, not quite as sharp and crisp as you want, and it left Jack a little rattle too, as well as taking out the bad guy. Uh, so then we uh, we also see that uh, Thornton decides just to go right to the horse's mouth, so to speak. She goes to the, the Wexler building. Uh, we do find out that there's two hours left for uh, the train to get to Frankfurt, and she basically walks right through uh, the reception, heads right up into a meeting, takes out her gun, and shoots a video screen. They're on some kind of huge conference call with some other office around the world. Shoots the screen, says, hey, guess what? This meeting's over. You, everybody that's not Eric Wexler needs to clear this room. Everybody leaves, and <laughs> Thornton has this conversation with Wexler, and uh, it basically says, like, hey, you know, I'm trying to intimidate him. And Wexler kind of surmises that, hey, guess what? I, mean, I think maybe Thornton is not, uh, doesn't have the backing and support that she says that she has, and in fact asks her if she's there with the full support of Interpol and the German government. And while I was watching that scene, I was like, why is Thornton doing this? And she even kind of gives it away. She does a little tell with her eyes to kind of realize that, you know, her... Her position is not as secure, and she's not as confident as she appears to be when she first came in the room. And uh, Wexler says, yeah, that's what I thought, so you know, why don't you hit the bricks? And uh, while they're talking, though, Thornton does grab his collar of his suit coat and just say, you know what, I'm going to be back, and next time I'm going to be in cuffs. And Wexler's like, yeah, you can try, whatever. Good luck with that. And uh, I was wondering, like, well, why, why was, why did Thornton just do that? And what was cool is, as she left, you realize that she's already listening in on the conversation because Wexler is still, as much as he was trying to, you know, stand up to Thornton, say, you're never going to touch me. He's still shaken up by the encounter so much so that he's going to call the people uh, that are on the train to make sure get this woman. And when Thornton grabbed Wexler, she planted it in a little bug, which I thought was a really cool move, uh, so that she could hear this whole conversation right away. So. Uh, it was cool to see Thornton just kind of deliberately kind of uh, undersell her kind of confidence in that matter to make Wexler think he had the upper hand, send, we- uh, send Thornton away, but still be shaken up enough that he'd start uh, making some calls so Thornton could figure out what he was really up to. So cool little move. Uh, so uh, so now Jack basically says to, uh, to Riley that I'm going to drop some of my infinite wisdom on you. And uh, basically says now, <laughs> I did like Riley's response, like, Jack and wisdom, two words I never thought I'd hear together. And Jack is basically looking out for Riley because, as I mentioned before, Riley, uh, for as much as he is computer savvy, doesn't have a lot of field training. In fact, pretty much none at all. So she, while she's great field support for Mac and Jack, if she has to defend herself, maybe he's not uh, completely prepared for that. So uh, Jack is going to give her a little advice because the eight guys or whoever's remaining of those eight men that are still on the train to blend in while they're looking for Katarina and to make sure that uh, Mac and Jack can't easily identify them, they're going to ditch the clothes that they came in and they're going to find some other clothes. They're going to change 
they're going to change their clothes, but they can't change their accessories. Uh, they're still going to have military watches, maybe uh, combat boots, things like that. So telling uh, Riley to be overly, uh, you have to be uh, like overly aware. You have to be like super hyper vigilant about everything that you're seeing. Because if you can pick up those small little details like a military watch or uh, the different types of like a combat boot on somebody that's dressed maybe in jeans and a, and a you know sweater, or uh, wearing a jacket and a shirt and tie, uh, that's going to give you an indication that this is a person that's not who they think they are. Uh, that was really smart of her that she uh, she planned to bug him. That's why she's the boss. Yeah, boo, I agree. Thornton, Thornton impresses me. Again, I, I, as we talked about last week, I like the idea that she always gets in the field. She could easily just stay there at the Phoenix Foundation in Los Angeles, kind of give the marching orders to everybody and just stay there and kind of uh, be a quarterback from there. But no, she gets right into it and makes this stuff up. So I, I do like that. I'm still deciding which one I, I think... If I had to choose which way I'd rather have it, I think I'd rather have it the way we did last episode, where she was actively in the field with Jack and Mac. They're all working together, as opposed to her being on one end and Jack and Mac and Riley being on the other, uh, kind of having two separate things. I like the idea of Thornton kind of mixing it up with them as well. But uh, regardless, uh, even though I may prefer one over the other, I still like the general overall fact that Thornton does get involved actively in these uh, uh, in these cases that they're working on. Uh, so, uh, there we go. So we got, uh, um, basically Mac and Katrina are walking through the train though. Uh, and Mac, Mac is asking kind of Katrina, like, you know, what, why did you finally decide to do this? And Katrina says she should have uh, said something about Eric sooner. Uh, and you could tell that they have a connection, her and Mac, and they almost have a moment while they're standing there in the hallway where you think like, all right. You know, they could kiss. They have a nice little smooch because they seem to have that kind of like that momentary spark. But another passenger walks just in in the way, kind of interrupts him. What are you doing, passenger? Kind of ruining the moment. Uh, so that moment goes by. And uh, we cut back over to Jack and Riley. And they see two guys walking through the cabin. And Jack and Riley have a seat right there. And Riley says, what are you going to do? And Jack says, he's not going to do anything right now because they're sitting in a cabin that's full of families and other people. And there's children and wives, things like that all around there. So Jack knows, hey, if I try to do something now, it's going to get messy for a lot of these civilians involved. It could be a lot of potential casualties. So uh, he lets the guys walk past them as they're sitting down, uh, but uses his earpiece to let know, to let Mac know that these two guys are on their way. So Mac picks up, picks a lock so that he and Katarina can hide in the cabin uh, and hear the two guys walking by. They give it a couple beats and then they head back out. And as they walk around, they're taking a peek and they see, oh, wait a second. I see another guy heading back down the other side of the cabin towards us. So that's when Mac takes Katarina. As I mentioned before, they have a little lip, ca- little, little lip smooching, little lip locking session. Uh, as always, that you see in one of those things when you're trying to hide from guys that are trying to find you. If you're two people and you're a man and a woman, uh, start making out. Or, I mean, I guess if you're two guys, you can start making out. You're two women. Basically, if you're just two people and somebody is looking for you and you want to make sure that they're not going to spot you, you start making out. Because I guess that's like, hey, two people making out, there's no way they could possibly be the people we're looking for. So we're not even going to pay attention to them. So we're just going to walk right by. And it almost works this time. Uh, Katarina and Mac, they're making out. The guy walks past. They stop. They have a little moment. And the guy doubles back and comes back around and clubs Mac on the back with a gun. And I love this move. This what was really cool is that Mac then takes off his belt as the guy is grabbing Katrina and uses that belt almost like a, like a whip and just hits the guy in the throat with his buckle. 
and uh, stuns the guy enough that he's able to get uh, Katrina away and run back up to catch up with Jack and Raleigh. So I thought that was cool to see. Again, Matt gets some really cool ways of fighting this episode. Uh, some unusual, unexpected ways, just basically using some of the things around him to kind of give him a leg up on somebody that may be a little bit more muscular, maybe a little bit more experienced and, and savvy in combat to kind of uh, level the playing field, so to speak. So uh, they get back to the luggage cabin of the luggage uh, cabin of the train, and uh, Mac opens up the door because the idea is like, hey, we just got to get off this train. If we can get off this train, we can make it back on under our own speed to Frankfurt. Nobody's going to bother us. You'll keep, you'll be safe. We'll get you to where you need to go. And uh, as he's opening the door, another guy jumps out and uh, knocks Mac down. And this is the part that that was funny because the guy, as, as soon as he knocks Mac down, uh, you hear see him and hear the knife being drawn out of whatever health that he's holding it in. And you can just hear Riley going, Mac, he's got a knife, which, you know, if you couldn't see that with your eyes or hear the big knife being drawn out from wherever he's hiding it on him. Like, I think Mac's already got the idea. But uh, thanks for the heads up again, Riley. And this is when Mac does his best Jason Bourne. Gets a magazine, rolls it up, and uses that as a way to fight a man with a knife. So, cool in a moment. Got a little Jason Bourne on the guy. And Mac also explains that trains have torpedoes on board, which I never knew. And But they're not like the like you'd find, like torpedoes that you'd find in the Navy. These are small pressure-released explosives that let fellow engineers know that there's trouble on the tracks. But you can also turn that into weapons. So he grabs one of the little explosive discs and he slaps it onto the, the, the rolled-up magazine that he's using and almost uses it like a bat. Basically knocks a guy uh, up against the open uh, open side of the train. That's open right up to the 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 open road as they're traveling along the track, and then just basically swings that rolled up magazine with the explosive tab on the front of it like a baseball bat, hits him in the stomach, and knocks the guy out of the cabin and then just off the train entirely. So that was a really cool ingenious way to kind of fight with that guy and get him out of there. Uh, so then all of a sudden we see like all right. Uh, a guy in the radio calls in. Jack makes it back up to the luggage cart, catches up with uh, Mac and Riley and Katrina. And uh, the guy that they knocked out of the train, he dropped the radio on the ground. And the guy's radioing in, and Jack picks it up and says, Hey, guess what? You know, the guy can't talk because he's been knocked outside the track. He's dead now, so too bad. And uh, Jack says, You know what? Now I'm going to come and I'm going to kill you. And the guy says, Hey, good luck with that. And also they notice that the, the guys that they've been uh, pursuing them on the train, they're on the roof. They're currently getting uh, lift, airlifted off the train. And there's uh, uh, explosive sound on the train. And all of a sudden we feel the train excelling, accelerating rapidly, way faster than it should be. And realizing, uh-oh, this could be a potential out-of-control situation here. Uh, and so they run up to the uh, the front of the train, and they realize that they uh, all those gunmen they sabotage the pneumatic air brakes, and they remove the onboard computer to remove all the failsafes. So basically, this train is not stomping. And I do like that. Jack's like, "Hey, Riley, can you just like hack into this?" And <laughs> Riley's like, "There's a hole. How am I supposed to be able to hack into anything? I can't hack into a hole." Uh, so they basically have 30 minutes until a train crashes into the station. And Mac has a risky plan, of course. Uh, his mind's always working, kind of, you know, analyzing and improvising on the fly for whatever ideas he may have to try to get him out of this life-threatening situation. Has one plan, calling it Plan A. That is the uh, risky plan that could tip the train. Uh, and then they also have a Plan B, which is uh, something that involves minimizing casualties and getting people off the train. They decide to go with that. So what happens is Jack and Riley start going through all the cabins of the train and start clearing people out of the rooms and getting them towards the back of the train to the very last car on the train. 
And Jack calls Thornton and says, hey, tell her, tells her this train is out of control. We're trying to get everybody on the train evacuated, but just to be on the safe side, if we can't stop this train, get everybody out of that station because this train may be coming in super fast and could cause a lot of damage to a lot of people if they're not cleared out. So Thornton starts working on that and asks if Katarina's safe. And so as of right now, Katarina's safe, but if they can't figure a way to get everybody safely off the train, that might change. So basically all the passengers got to the last car on the train. And now all they do is have to uncouple the last car. And like you see in all those movies, anytime somebody's on the train, you just decouple that last car, let the rest of the runaway train go, zooming off down the tracks without you, and you just kind of slowly roll to a stop as the momentum kind of rolls out on you. Uh Oh, there you go. So we have Boosie uh, chimes in there. There's Jack who's making his conversation with somebody on the radio. For a second, I thought Jack was going to start speaking in a German accent when he talked into the walkie. It would have been funny. That's true. If Jack almost had kind of tried to kind of bluff his way, very much like a Han Solo in Star Wars right there in the, on the Death Star. Uh, anybody else just trying to act like you know what's going on to try to get more information on the guys you're speaking to. But, no, nope, uh, Jack didn't do it. He just, talk, he just talked tough. Talked tough. Uh, as always, it's good. always good to just blindly threaten to kill the man that you're speaking to on the other line of the radio just let him know like hey guess what i'm still around and i'm coming to kill you so get ready for that uh so they're trying to decouple the car and mac realizes oh man all right when they got rid of the pneumatic air brake and they damaged that the lines that would allow us to decouple the car also run with the lines that would allow for the pneumatic air brakes to work so since the, the brakes don't work now that a couple in the car, that's not going to work. So we have to do this the hard way. And Mac looks around and realizes that if you can get magnesium from like an armrest, iron oxide, iron oxide, which is just rust, from pretty much anywhere, you can just get rust. And then uh, you add some fire, you can create that into a torch to start cutting through metal. So that's what Mac does. He starts cutting through and he runs out of fuel. Now, the part I don't understand is why he uh, just didn't go and get more uh, yeah, there's plenty of armrests and there's plenty of rust on this train. So why didn't he just get more fuel? Maybe uh, he just felt like there wasn't enough time to make this happen. So he gets partly cut through, but not far enough for them to be able to decouple the car. So he's using the pipe that he used uh, to, that was holding all the magnesium oxide, uh, magnesium and the iron oxide uh, to burn through the cable cars. And he's going to pry that into like the, the the cut open part and hopefully kind of help finish the separation of the, the uh, of the coupling so they can release the back car of the vehicle. And he's trying it from the last car, and it's not working. He's not getting the, the, the proper grip, and he's not getting the right angle to be able to, to apply enough force to make that happen. So he hops back onto the moving side of the train and is trying to still keep pulling that pipe to decouple the cars. It's not working. He needs a little bit more force, a little bit more leverage. So Jack, realizing that Matt can't do it by himself, jumps over to the other car with him. And Matt's like, what are you doing? You can't do this. And Jack's like, hey, you need my help. We'll do it. We'll, we'll make this happen. We'll jump quickly back to the other car. We'll be fine. So they work together. They get the proper amount of leverage. They're able to, uh, the, the, to knock it back and aren't able to. The, the train decouples too quickly. And, they're not, and the other train, the front of the train is accelerating too rapidly for them to be able to jump off quick enough to get back to the last car that decoupled. So Riley and Kat, uh, Katrina, they're safe with all the rest of the passengers uh, as that, that, cat, that car starts slowing to a roll, stop there. But Mac and Jack, they're on a runaway train heading right towards Frankfurt. And uh, Boo69 chimes in again. I agree. You should have just got, you should have just got some more. Yeah, that's true. I don't know why he just didn't go back and say, hey, uh, Jack, grab me some more magnesium, grab me some more rust. Uh, let's load this thing back up and keep going. But he didn't. 
So the cardi the cardi gets decoupled. The civilians are all safe. Katrina's safe. Riley's safe. Now it's Mac and Jack on this runaway train. And Mac says, "Well, I guess we're to Plan A now." And Jack said, "Wait, I thought Plan A kills everybody." He says, "Well, yeah, but now there's just two of us, so we're all good. There's only two of us could possibly die." So they head back up to the front of the train, and Mac goes under the train, and he warns Jack that Plan A gets kind of bumpy. And without miles of track to be able to slow them down, Mac is going to do something less safe. He's going to swap the wires to make the motors spin backwards. And that's basically like uh, if you're driving on the highway and you just slammed your car into reverse. And also, if you're going 80 miles an hour, that car would lurch rapidly as it was trying to quickly change gears from going forward 80 miles an hour to backwards at 80 miles an hour. So imagine doing that if you, even if you're going you know, a couple hundred miles an hour on a runaway train that's going to be even worse. It could potentially shoot that train right off the tracks. So he does make the the switch of the wires. Sparks start flying everywhere. And uh, he, Mac is tr- is basically just pinned underneath the bottom of the train. There's like sparks flying everywhere, so much so that it's a difficulty for him to try to get up and climb back into the, the, the front of the train. So all the sparks are flying, but Jack says, hey, the, it's working. The train is slowing down. And sure enough, Mac is right. They get the train slowed down enough. Which I guess if he's, if he's throwing the the engine into reverse, once it stops, wouldn't it also then just start backing up too? I was wondering about that, but no, it just basically just slows down to a stop and then it doesn't go any further. I, I, I'm not sure I understand the physics of that because if it's just basically that you've thrown everything into reverse, when it when it eventually slowed down to an afford momentum, then it would just start creeping up backwards as well. But maybe that's just me. Maybe I'm thinking of this wrong. Uh, let's see. Uh, oh, I uh, and we got uh, Boo hopping in again. Uh, I bet Jack regrets jumping in to help Mac. Uh, I don't know. I mean, uh, I don't know if Jack regrets jumping in to help Mac. I mean, certainly. I mean, Mac's his man. He's going to make sure that he, tra- he. I mean, his job is to protect Mac. So if Mac's going to go off and do something, Jack's not going to let it do him by himself. Not if he can help it. So Jack is always going to go be in there because if worse comes to worse, uh, something were to happen, he would make sure that Mac at least had the best chance of surviving. Uh, if Mac's initial plan didn't work, Jack would do whatever it took to make sure Mac could possibly survive at the expense of Jack's life. That's what I like about Jack. He knows what his job is. Mac is a brains and Jack is a brawn. And Jack uh, will do whatever it takes to make sure that Mac survives to accomplish whatever their mission is. So I do like that dynamic, even though they they definitely have a, a very close friendship about that. So I don't think he regrets it. Plus, I mean, heck, it makes an awesome story later on. So you know, that's one of those the, the things you want to go through the, the, the thick of it. Get, go through those challenging moments in your life. Have that really cool moment, that cool adventure. And, you know, I feel like as, as dangerous as these things are, I think that Jack and Mac have had enough experience together where Jack realizes that if Mac wants to try something a little crazy, uh, a little outside the realm of safety, Jack's going to give Mac that rope to be able to do that because he's got the uh, the track record of proving that, yeah, when I go outside the box, you know, things use, it's, it's not maybe the smoothest but they usually pan out in the end, and everybody gets out safe. So uh, the train comes to a stop. They're great. This is Jack's first time in Frankfurt. So Mac hops hops back on the train like, hey, welcome to Frankfurt. We're all here now. Look at that. Uh, And so uh, then we have Wexler realizing, hey, this whole plan did not work. The train landed safely. Katrina's alive. My guys are gone. What's going on? So he's leaving the office, and he gets in his car, and Thornton's just just waiting inside his car with a gun and handcuffs and says, hey, remember what I told you next time I'd see you? I have something for you. 
And I thought that was interesting because the idea was like, are you here with the backing of the German government and Interpol? That was the reason that Wexler said like, maybe you should get out of my office now if you don't have that backing. And so this time when she does just sitting there in the back of his car, I thought maybe some Interpol or people working for the German, the German government would be like in hiding. And as you know, Wexler gets in the car and is held at gunpoint and the handcuffs are out there. He was going to leave me to try to get out of the car to make a run for it. And then the government would kind of swoop in around him to let him know, nope, you're surrounded. You're not going anywhere. To let Wexer know, like, yeah, she's got the full support of everybody working this time. But we don't see that little beat. So, you know, I, I guess everything, I guess the Interpol and the German government, like, they were cool with, like, all right, you just go get us one, Thornton. Get him and bring him to us. We're all cool. Just do this on your own. You don't need any backup. So, uh, Wexer gets taken in. Uh, Oh, we got Boo sixty nine here. It's like uh, uh, so. Even if Jack uh, might wreck, wreck wreck his pants, I'll have a good story to tell. Yep, that's right. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You might, uh, you, you know, you might you might stain those stain those pants. Had to uh, take those pants to Brown Town for a little bit, <laughs> but you still have an awesome story. I, I for me personally, uh, I'd be fine if I if I poop my pants. Uh, but I made it through and I had an awesome story to tell. That's cool. I, I'm willing to have a great story to tell. I'd be willing to poop my pants. I'd be fine. You know, I'm going to go out there and say it. I, there you go. Uh, folks, would you guys, uh, if if you knew you could get through and have a really cool story, but the cost of that was that you were probably during it, you're going to poop your pants. Just know that you could get through this really cool adventure, but you poop your pants. Would you still go through that adventure? And you have to poop your pants. You have to. It's going to happen during this. You know, it's going to be so life-threatening, so crazy, such an up-and-down thrill moment, uh, potential life-threatening risks and danger around every corner. That During that, you're going to poop your pants, but you're going to get it safe and you have a great story to tell. Do you do it? I'll do it. I'll poop my pants. Why not? (laughs) I say that so easily. Like, oh, yeah, I'd poop my pants. Sure. Why not? Pooping your pants is cool. Then consider me Miles Davis. There you go. Um, so we get Wexler in custody, uh, and Katrina and Mac are talking there. Uh, and oh, at first, uh, Jack and Riley are talking, and Riley says, "Hey, if you have any more of Jack's infinite wisdom? I really like learning a little bit of this training for you." And I like this little moment where Jack tells Riley, "You know what, Mac and I were talking, and we want to make sure you get more field training. Uh, so stick with me, uh, Mac and I, are make sure that you get trained so well that you're going to make Jason Bourne look like Matt Damon." So I thought that was a nice little nod to some of Mac's earlier fight fight scenes in the uh, in the course of the episode, and I do like the idea that you know we'll see hopefully during the course of the rest of the season, uh, Jack and Mac kind of especially Jack because I do like the kind of bond that's forming up uh, between Jack and Riley, especially after their first initial meeting where you know Jack dated uh, Riley's mom, and even though Jack did more of an honorable thing, Riley thinks he didn't, so uh, they very much entered into this in a con- very kind of contentious. Uh, relationship, uh, mostly from Riley's side towards Jack, not Jack towards Riley. But I like the idea that Riley's starting softening up towards Jack, and to see what happens during uh, the course of her getting a little trained. I like to see her kind of be able to hold her own, both uh, computer wise and fight wise, while they're out in the field. Let's uh, oh, here we go, Boo sixty nine chiming in. Uh, I think I might puke instead of wreck my pants, but I would do it. All right, all right, Boo, all right, fine. Yeah, you know, just as long as something's coming out of some part of your body, I guess we'll count that. That that that's cool. Just do it. Uh, um, so, <laughs> so this show is taking a terrible turn for the worse. Talking about things flying out of your body uh, and soiling your clothes just to have a great story to tell at the end of the day. Um, speaking of little stories at the end of the day, 
Katrina and Mac are talking, and uh, Katrina is very appreciative to Mac because Mac promised at the beginning that he was going to get her safely through this, and he kept his promise. Uh, and Mac is ever the chivalrous, chival, chivalrous gentleman. Says, you know, you did the hard part. You're the one that came forward to confess everything that you saw that Wexler was doing. It was going to and going to testify against him to make sure that he pays for his crimes that he's been doing. And Katrina says, you know, I, I, I couldn't stay quiet any longer. So now that uh, Wexler's in jail, they have a nice long hug. She kisses him on the cheek. And as we talked about a little bit earlier in the episode, that uh, she says, hey, you know, if you're ever in you know, Berlin uh, or Frankfurt in Germany again, anyway, we can get together. And that's what Max says. You know, I'm not good at making plans, but let's make plans. Uh, and something without trains. So as I wrote here in my notes as I was watching this episode, I was like, yeah, smooth, Mac, real smooth. Uh, and regardless, as Katrina is let off with uh, some of the authorities there, Jack and Riley come over. And Jack's proud of Mac because he saw the connection that was happening between uh, Katrina and Mac. And it was just to be able for Mac to be able to have that kind of you know, connection on whatever level with Katrina uh, was a sign to Jack that Mac was ready to kind of move on from whatever feelings or situation or uh, unresolved feelings that he had towards uh, Nikki. And, uh, but of course, Jack can't let it go. Just like with a nice little simple compliment. Uh, he says, you know, but you know, you don't want to get that. You don't want to get tied down to, to one Philly. I mean, you need a stable. So as always, I mean, Jack, I uh, could be very encouraging, uh, brotherly, a lot of great compliments. And then can also just, you know, be that, you know, that crass, crass guy, your crass best friend. That's always going to say the wrong thing. Just, you know, just to be inappropriate. Uh, and uh, oh, Boo is saying it's obvious that as Mac is watching Katrina uh, go, he's thinking, "Yeah, I'll never see her again." <laughs> I, I, would, I would agree, Boo. He's like, "Yep, yeah, yeah, well, you know, maybe, maybe if you friend me on Facebook, maybe, maybe we can do that, and we can just watch each other's uh, lives happen at a remote distance. Maybe, maybe that much." Uh, but I, I don't know. I can't see Mac as somebody that's on Facebook. Uh, I guess see Katrina probably, yeah, she's got she's got a Facebook profile, but I don't know if Mac is. I think Bozer is for sure. I don't know if Mac is. I, I imagine that uh, Bozer's always on Mac to try to do that. You got to get on Facebook, Mac. You got to get on Facebook. You got to, you know, let people know where you're at and what you're doing. So I feel like that, if we have to have a scene where Bozer's like trying to convince Mac to make his Facebook profile, oof, then the show is definitely reached a dead end on what they can do with Bozer. Uh, so, uh, speaking of that, there we're back in LA, and Ryan and Bozer they're playing at the at the pool in the back of the uh, their house, and they're just hitting rubber duckies with uh, like a racquetball racket, and make a little bet to kind of speed up the uh, the amount of uh, the frequency of uh, digits that uh, that Bozer could get from Riley. So, uh, yeah, the idea is like, hey, guess what? If I if I if I do better at this, I'll get all your digits, and then we get to go out to dinner. So. If Riley wins, none of that happens. But if Bozer does, then he's going to get all his information. So it's game on at this point. We don't see who wins. So I guess we're in suspense. I really, I honestly, you know, I don't care. Just jettison this part of the series. Just just jettison Bozer. Just let him just go off, go on. Just enjoy life doing something else. And uh, Godspeed. Godspeed, my son. Enjoy your life elsewhere um, doing whatever you do. But his, his scenes in this, this show, uh, oof. Uh, offer nothing offer really nothing to this uh and then we uh, end the episode where mac is back at nikki's place and he's trying the key that they got at the beginning of the episode he's trying it in a variety of locks in katrina or nikki's uh at nikki's apartment and uh you know using it on one of the desk drawers it's not working and uh basically kind of like oh well i can't find this the, the key doesn't belong to any lock that's in this apartment 
And he grabs a string out of one of the top drawers and ties a little necklace around his neck. And Kenneth is keeping the key around his neck to find out basically this key is going to lead him somewhere at some point. And uh, he's realizing like, hey, if uh, Wexler wasn't Katrina's fault, then maybe Nikki wasn't mine. But he's still planning on catching her. Uh, oh, as Boo69 hears that uh, <laughs> Mac probably doesn't even have a Tinder account or any media accounts. Yeah, I, yeah, I can't, uh, yeah, I can't think of Mac having, yeah, he's, while he's probably, yeah, I don't know, uh, probably not Tinder, I don't think he's a, uh, I don't think he's a Tinder dude, I don't feel like he's, t- he's dating, no, well, well I, I mean, because he gets texts, so, I wonder if Mac's ever tweeted, maybe, maybe let out a tweet or two, yeah, I so I, I think if anything, he may have a, a Twitter Maybe, ah, but I don't know what, what does Mac have to comment on? I don't know if there's anything that he could say in his public life that he feel like that he could share. Like, Hey, guess what? Just made like, his, uh, may I stopped a gun with a toothpick today? And that's his tweet or, you know, whatever, what kind of like novel thing that he invents out of the things around him. Uh, that's what he tweets about those quite, you know, I think 140 characters, you could tweet out like some kind of cool, like homemade invention, maybe really quick. That'd be a cool little Twitter account to follow. Somebody was making homemade inventions. Uh, and sh- sharing them along with the uh, the, the Twitter f- Twitterverse. Uh, and let's see here. Uh, do you think Nikki is going to come back looking for that key? Uh, I feel like uh, Nikki's leading, uh, giving Max some, uh, some breadcrumbs. And so clearly that key leads to something. And I'm imagining it's a lockbox or something that contains a lot of information, maybe about this organization that Nikki's working for. Because it does seem that Nikki... For whatever reason she's working, I mean, she still seems to have some sort of connection with Mac. So I feel like whatever is uh, in this lockbox is going to help to kind of explain why Nikki's doing what she's doing and maybe give Mac some information about the people that she's working with. Uh, so that maybe maybe they have something on Nikki and kind of forcing her to do this stuff for them. Maybe there's something that on them that uh, Mac, uh, Mac and Jack will be able to do to get sort of like this black material, whatever they're holding on Nikki. Uh, whether it's a person or a file or something that they might be able to get to kind of get Nikki away from them. Maybe that's it. I do feel like it's going to at least uh, offer up an explanation for why Nikki's doing what she's doing and give Mac a little bit more intel about what's happening. So I'm, I'm going to think that uh, while Nikki probably won't be Mac's opposite number, I have a feeling that Nikki's going to need Mac's help at some point. And so this is kind of her way to start leading him along where she needs to. Uh, lead Mac to get her, get him to help her. That's my thought. So look at that, everybody. We have uh, made it to the end of another exciting episode of MacGyver. That is the end of it. So, uh, yeah, my my prediction is Bozer's going to uh, be at the beginning and end of every episode doing something that uh, is just kind of boring me to tears. And hopefully, uh, if predictions stay the same as they've been so far. Uh, Nikki's going to show up again during November sweeps, and we'll see something with Mac's father later on in the year. Uh, season. Now that we've got the back nine activated all the way till May, uh, for sure I think we're going to see something resolved with Max's father. Uh, I think a little later rather than sooner. So that's going to bring us to the end of this episode of the MacGyver After Show. But folks, thanks for joining in. Uh, Boo, th- thanks for hopping in. Everybody, thanks for hopping in the chat. Really appreciate you guys being my co-host as we broke down uh, season one, episode five, Toothpicks. And as always, folks, you can like us on Facebook. Give us those five stars on iTunes. Subscribe to the YouTube channel. Again, thanks for hopping in the chat. It was great having you be here with me tonight. And I'll be back here next Sunday night at 11 o'clock to break down another episode of the MacGyver right here on AfterBuzz TV. See you then. 
from executive producers Maria Menounos, Kevin Undergaro, Phil Svitek, and the entire AfterBuzz TV staff, we would like to thank you for listening to the AfterBuzz TV network. To watch or listen to other After shows and post comments or questions, be sure to visit AfterBuzzTV.com. I'm Sir Richard Wentworth, and this has been a presentation of AfterBuzz TV. Buzz you later. The views expressed herein are those of the hosts only and do not necessarily reflect the views of AfterBuzz TV or its owners or principals.